Very good morning to one and all, to all our Catholic at, Catholics at Home uh, podcast followers and viewers from, uh, from as far as Miri and East Malaysia, all the way to uh, North Malaysia, all the way to South uh, Peninsula. Uh, we welcome all of you to today's podcast. And uh, today we're actually starting bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 9 a.m., uh, because later at 10.30, we're actually going to be following the diaconate ordination of uh, Michael Das. So that is why today we've moved our segment a little earlier. So let's quickly get into today's show. You can see everything is in the theme of blue. So let's welcome uh, Father uh, Clarence Devadas in. Good morning, Hi, morning Good morning, Patrick. You're you up brother? bright, bright and early uh, this morning. Yes, having yes. to having to wake you up. <laughs> is this your normal, usual Saturday routine, or is it a bit later? It's a, a slow Saturday morning usually, isn't it, for a yes. lot of people? Yes, very much. Yes, usually I wake up at about nine something. <laughs> ah, and right. Only, yeah, and then only I'll come in and I make my coffee and everything. But okay, like, today for you, Father Ken, and for all our yeah, viewers, and for our the... guests. This morning we have, uh, as you as you mentioned, rightly mentioned. This morning we have the the ordination uh, of Brother Michael Das uh, to the diaconate at ten thirty. Uh, so to our viewers, I mean, you're all cordially welcome to to follow it on the ArchKL uh, channels uh, of the diaconate ordination that's taking from taking place from from Kadain House and from the Bishop's Chapel. Yep, yep, yep. We're excited about that one. Uh, shall we give a shout out, Father, to some of our viewers? Uh, sure. Philomena Peterson. These are all our regular people. Every week we can see them uh, online. So, Hi, Philomena. Good morning. morning. Yes, good morning, Dorothy, uh, Kennedy, uh, James Fung, Sebastian Stanislaus, Rosie Chong, definitely. Um, so, yeah, good morning to everybody. Um, and uh, thank you for tuning in and continue to stay on. Uh, um, Especially later when we're having the uh, diaconate ordination, eh? please uh, tune in and let's pray all together um, for yeah. our our new deacon. So also to our to our, our viewers this morning, I do share uh, to invite your friends to to this conversation this morning. It's an interesting conversation uh, this morning we have, uh, and you know, our guest is already I think waiting to to jump right in to this whole conversation. Shall we just bring uh, bring him in, uh, Pat? Yes, yes, let's bring in. Good morning, Father Joe. Hi, morning. Morning. Good morning, Father. Morning. Good to see you all. Welcome, welcome to, to Catholics at Home, Father Joe. Thank, Thank you so you much, much for, for taking time on, on this Saturday morning. I, I know you have a very busy schedule to take some time off to have this conversation, this important topic uh, conversation with us. Uh, but before we begin, Father Joe, I know, I mean, Father Joe Stevens needs no introduction here in, in this part of the world. I know you've been all around giving missions, but just in case, just in case, Father Joe, uh, for the benefit of, of those who have not uh, had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, would you just kind of like introduce yourself and, and where you are located and what's your mission currently? Okay, sure. Thank you very much, Clarence and uh, Patrick, and also Mark, who is not have been seen now at the moment. Uh, my name is uh, Father Joe Steven and I come from Ipoh and uh, I am based with the Redemptorist community in uh, Ipoh Garden Church. Uh, at the moment, because of the lockdown and uh, COVID and uh, the 
the difficulty to move around to do any kind of mission or retreat. <clears throat> I am involved in a feeding program with an NGO called Pay Forward. And then with the church group on Sunday, we do another feeding program uh, to the poor about And, oh, also just... giving them, oh. and also giving them some rations from time to time, especially baby's milk, which is in great demand these days because lots of people are looking for baby's milk. And a lot of these people who are in the B40 group have been out of job for a, quite a while and struggling. Okay, So that's what basically I do, besides doing an online mass for our Tamil community in Ipo Garden Parish. Father Joe, you belong to the to the to the Redemptorist community, and of course, we have had uh, Father Patrick uh, Masang with us also, uh, a confrere in your own community. And I know that the Redemptorists have a, a great devotion or a special devotion to to our Blessed Mother, uh, and we will talk about that in, in a short while. And and so I think we have the very we have the right person this morning, Patrick, uh, to yes, talk yes. talk us through uh, about uh, Mary uh, in the life of the Church. Now, many of us have, have grown up with the tradition of, of the rosary, uh, of the, the novena uh, to our mother of perpetual help, which we will talk about in a short while. Uh, but Father Joe, if you could just help. Uh, but also, Mary has, has been uh, a kind of a, a point of contention also for some people. You know, uh, you know as much as Mary is, is the mother figure, uh, Mary is like the pathway that, you know, towards Jesus, helps us towards Jesus. But she's also been a kind of a, a figure that people sometimes are not sure what her role is. Uh, why do we need to go through Mary to Jesus? So the conversation this morning is to just look at, you know, what's the role of Mary in church? And maybe just to kind of start us off uh, for the joy, I just want to ask you, you know, why is it that Mary has got a special place uh, in the life of the church? I mean, there's very little mention of, of Mary uh, in the Bible. You know, we, we hear of her in the beginning, a little bit in the, in, in the middle where she follows Jesus. And then towards the end, when Jesus is at the cross. Uh, apart from that, nothing much is known about Mary, but yet Mary occupies this special place. Uh, help us understand, Father Joe, uh, why is it that Mary has this, this special place uh, in the life of the church? Right. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, let me try to put it this way. Uh, what Father Clarence said is very true. Very little is mentioned about Mary in the scriptures. Okay. So, as Catholics, we are brought up with two kind of uh, valuable uh, teachings that we hold on to. One is scriptures. Yes, we fall back to scriptures. That is our basis. The second thing that the early church has also taught us is tradition. At least the tradition with a capital T. We've got to hold on to that also. Because a lot of valuable information has been passed on to us. If you look at the scriptures, at least the gospel, uh, we'll find that in Matthew's gospel, he has an infancy narrative, the birth of Jesus, where Joseph plays a prominent role. And then you look at Luke's gospel, we also have an infancy narrative where Mary plays a prominent role. And then you look at Mark's gospel, he begins with an adult Jesus. There's no such thing as infancy in Mark's gospel. And then you go on to John's gospel. John begins with divine Jesus. There is no birth narrative in John's gospel. And yet all these four gospels are part and parcel of our church's teaching. 
and we accept this as the gospel okay and we read it we meditate upon it we try to live it out to the best of our ability okay in the early church long before we had rcia long before we had our catechetical program there was a wisdom in the early church when the disciples saw gentiles that mean non-christians who wanted to join the church you know what they will say they will say come and join us not go for rcia not go for one year catechetical program but come and join us because the community in the early church believed and practiced and passed on every valuable information and faith formation to its followers and and that's where we begin to see right from the early days the importance of mary there's another thing that we need to be informed of the word is tradition some of us don't like this word because we think we are traditional people we go back to old ways and old ideas and hold on to old things so we don't like to be labeled as traditionals tradition simply means this to pass on what we believe and what we love and every family does that they pass on everything that they believe in that they love okay and that's what the early church did they passed on to us what is of great value for our faith formation what is of importance to us as we try to embrace the person of jesus in that way they passed on the person of mary our blessed mother long before it became a dogma long before it, it was popularized the early church saw mary as a very special person as a faithful disciple of jesus christ as the mother of jesus and much much later mother of the church and later on we have many many dogmas this person that the early church saw as someone so special and so different as a model disciple that the early church passed on to its community that's what we've inherited and later on the early fathers of the church started putting it down in writing and much later it becomes an official teaching of our catholic church and that is where mary plays a prominent role an important role in our catholic way of life and that is why even today we who have inherited from our fathers and mothers this valuable insight are called to pass on to our children and grandchildren the devotion to our blessed mother the many devotions that we have inherited whether it's praying the rosary whether it's a novena whether it's a miraculous medal whether it's just standing up for a few minutes to pray the angelus we pass on valuable teachings of our catholic church that we have inherited so father um you mentioned just now uh devotion right devotion yeah. to our devotion to our lady um now there's often a misconception eh, that catholics worship mary because of the presence of you know we've got so many statues my house also got flat so um but i got two or three uh, or just of our lady and uh, you know 
people also put flowers and they touch and kiss the statues and, and, and all that. So can you clarify this, this misconception, you know, that we worship Mary? Yes. Uh, let's talk about whose misconception is this? Is it the Catholic mm. misconception or is it a misconception that comes from others? Ah, Talking question. from a Catholic perspective, okay, uh, the Catholics believe the teachings of the church, believe in the Ten Commandments. And what is the Ten Commandments? One of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other God beside me. Okay, So we know right from the start, there's only one God that we worship, one God that we believe. Okay, And that's a God that we accepted as our Lord and Savior, the person of Jesus Christ. So the Catholic Church has never taught us that Mary is a goddess. Okay. It is not our misconception. We are quite clear about this. Okay, And in a, even our catechism says that condemns any form of idolatry. So Catholics do not worship Mary. It goes against our commandments and it goes against our catechism. So where does the misconception come from? The misconception comes from the, the Protestants. Okay. But if you do uh, something, you do the, the development of Protestantism, you'll find out the early Protestant leaders, whether you talk about Martin Luther, whether you talk about uh, the Anglican Church, whether you talk about the Methodist Reformation, they had certain beliefs of our Blessed Mother. It's much, much later coming to John Knox and John Calvin that they shifted to the left and they tried to discard everything and they focused solely on the scripture. And much later uh, with Karl Barth, a modern century Swiss theologian who will reject everything and say it's all about scripture. So it is from here that we have Protestants who reject everything about Mary, everything outside scripture but as catholics we hold on to two things one is scripture yes the other thing is tradition okay the valuable insight that our forefathers and mothers have handed down to us okay and there is wisdom in that okay like like, that like you say like, like like you say father joe i mean yeah. uh, you rightly point out whose misconception it is i think yeah. a lot of the misconception comes also from what people see the visuals uh, that we that we project, you know, people see us standing before the statue of Mother Mary. We, they see us uh, lighting candles, uh, you know, at, at the grotto. Uh, I mean, garlands are, are quite popular here in Malaysia. Uh, putting garlands uh, and sometimes our processions as well. We our processions, processions, yeah, our processions yeah. also. And, and sometimes um, the misconception is, you know. People ask, why can't I? Why can't I go straight to Jesus? Why do I? Why do I need to go to Mary? So, in in that sense, I mean, this is a, a contention also with regard to saints. Why do we need to go to saints? I mean, can't we go straight to Jesus? So, yes, the object of our worship, if I may use that word, is God. Ultimately, God is the end. But why is it that we need these devotions to Mother Mary, to saints, to help us to get get to, to God or to Jesus? Uh, let, let's put it this way. Uh, that, that, there's a problem uh, that we have to recognize ourselves. Uh, that is, Mariology as a course uh, is seldom offered uh, in, our, in our seminary. 
uh, in the formation of our priests or religious. It's it's kind of a missing. Okay, there's a tendency among us to make Mary minimalistic. You know, take her off completely. You know, give her the very very minimum position, and then we find in our laity it becomes very maximum. They see everything as saints and Mary because they've inherited this. The missing link is good sound teaching that is needed. And unless we are formed in proper Maryology, we are going to float between these two extremes. Either take away Mary because we are confronted by Protestants, as some Catholics tend to do, you know, take away statues, take away pictures and all that. Or they go into the maximum area, everything is Mary. You know? So there must be a middle ground that seems to be missing, at least among most of us. And that is what the, the, the place and the role of the church should be in encouraging Maryology, that we teach sound Maryology to our people so that we're able to put her in the proper place as we come to venerate her as our Blessed Mother. Okay, this is an edu ongoing education, and I, I think there is there is a lot of positive signs that are emerging because there are a lot of online Mariology that's going on these days where people are engaging themselves and learning from it. Okay, uh, but you'll always find the maximum ideas. You know, faith doesn't grow uh, in the same way among all of us. So it takes on different different shapes and forms with different people. And we hope we will get that balance in our teaching and our in our understanding. Okay. There, there so was it, it, the, it has been my observation that you know with for, for ordinary people, devotions are something that they are able to relate with uh, you know very easily. A lot of people yes. relate with devotions very easily, more than maybe maybe sometimes even, even if I dare say sometimes even more than the mass itself. Uh, yes. They are able to kind of like you know have a kind of a special relationship with with certain devotions, uh, which helps them, I guess, which, which helps them definitely helps them. And you know we have the saying that you know through through Mary to Jesus, yes. uh, and it's always associated with with the the, the, the miracle at the wedding of Cana, you know yes. where Mary you know they implored Mary's help to get to Jesus. Yes. Perhaps this is. I, the, the relationality, the connection with, with a devotion, whether it's saints or, or, or Mary, is somehow is more human sometimes for a lot of people. Would, would, you, would you agree that, with that? Yes, yes. Uh, I, I see it this way. Many of us Catholics, if you look into our lives, we came into Christianity not because we discovered the historical Jesus in the scripture. We came into Christianity because of many other reasons. Okay. So the earliest images of Jesus that we had was totally uh, different from that one in the scriptures. So we were given saints, we were given statues, we were given rosary beads, we were given medals, you know. And right at the young age of 10 years old, we are learning a very theological insight that Jesus is the bread of life, our first Holy Communion teaching, you know how we have to kind of a bow, be reverential, you know. And this is the way we are brought into Christianity. I, sometimes I offer RCIA classes. And what do people, these people tell me? Oh, I got to know uh, uh, Jesus because I went to Catholic school, where, where we prayed the rosary, where we attended catechism, 
And that's how I knew about the Catholic Church. And now in my old age, I want to become a Catholic. Okay, That is our introduction into Christianity. If you look at the Protestants, they have an introduction that goes directly to the Bible. Okay, They discover Jesus in the scriptures. Okay, And that is why they can't talk about saints and they can't talk about venerating and so forth. For us, these saints, uh, uh, Blessed Mother, are so, so important. And because that's the way we were introduced into Christianity. Scripture came much later. Okay? And today, many of us are reading it, uh, meditating upon it, and uh, we have images of Scripture, that uh, images of Jesus that comes from Scripture. You know, uh, Father, I've got one question. Um, you're, you come from the parish of Mother of Perpetual Health, right? That's right. That's right. Um, yeah. And also, we've we've encountered so many different titles that we've given Our Lady, uh, Blessed Mother, Madonna, Our Lady, Star of the Sea, you know, Queen of Heaven, Cause of Our Joy, and all. You no, know, so many titles that we've given Our Lady. Um, how how did these titles all come about? I mean. You know, uh, I know they probably have different histories and all that, but you know, if you could just give some ideas how these titles came about. How these titles came about, eh? Yeah, uh, yeah. And okay. and maybe, you know, what's the significance? You know, what's the significance of I'm the sure they're all, they all referring to the same lady, isn't it? That's right, yes. <laughs> yes, true, true, true. Okay, we, we take with, with our story with our founding father, for example, Tunku Abdul Rahman, okay? It is one man, but it's called by different names. You know, it's it's paradoxical in the sense that this one man has been attributed different names. Some people call him Tunku, some people call him Bapa Merdeka, you know, some people call him the father of the nation, and so forth. Okay, so here we have our Blessed Mother, one person, the woman from Nazareth, the woman who is called in the Annunciation story to become the mother of Jesus, the woman who has bestowed the title mother of God, the mother of the church, the wife of Joseph, the cousin of Elizabeth, and the auntie of John the Baptist is all one person. you know. And uh, because a life is so big, because a life um, it touches so many different people, from different walks of life and different people have come to embrace, venerate her and the love her and they call her by different names because for them it means uh, special okay the other thing is that some of these names are very geographical okay take for example we call our lady of Lourdes. there is no Lourdes in malaysia but look at number of churches that we have our lady of Lourdes. Is very geographically located somewhere in the southern part of France. Look at Our Lady of Fatima. It's geographical. Okay, it's in Portugal. Okay, and yet we have many churches all over the world called Our Lady of Fatima. Okay, same likewise Guadalupe or Our Lady of Elangani. You know, like that. Okay, so this kind of a geographically located pictures names are now being picked up and transported throughout the world, okay? She's known as the star of the sea, a, a, a name that the sailors attributed, you know, the, the seafarers attributed to her, okay? Uh, she's known by several other names 
because of the close connection that that particular group of people had with her. So if you look at the eternity of of our Blessed Mother after you praying the rosary in the days of old, people will say the eternity, a long list of names. And sometimes you do it on your knees. After a while, you get tired of it, you know. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and this is the attribute that the church has bestowed upon our Blessed Mother. It is not that she bestowed upon ourselves, but the church saw the richness in this person by calling her with under different patronage or different names. You know, will it will it grow? It will. There is a ch little chapel in Greek. Bishop Sebastian called it Our Lady of uh, the East West Highway. Okay. Uh, he changed the name completely and said, okay, this, this chapel will be known as Our Lady of the East-West Highway. Okay, That's a new name. Okay, And now it's very locally located in Greek, in Perak. Okay? The beginning of the highway to Klantan. Okay? So like that, uh, tradition and uh, geographical location and different people have bestowed different titles upon our Blessed Mother. And today uh, in the Itini, we have a long list of uh, titles that we address her. It's the richness of this person, the paradoxical of this person, that this person cannot be contained by one name or by one title. You know, So we try now, to give expressions to her differently. Now, there's one title um, yeah. that is the mother of God. Yes. Now, it, get, it implies that, that get, uh, Mary uh, existed before God. And but how can God have? Maybe you can give us a bit more context to that this particular name, Mother well, that's, of God. That's that's like that's like a whole semester course, isn't it, uh, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> this Mother of God what? title is a one whole semester course in Mariology. Let's let help help us break it down in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's just a couple of minutes, you know. <laughs> right. Thank you. Okay, uh, this this became a dogma uh, at the Council of Ephesus in four three one. So it's before before you, before you move before you move Joe, dogma help us understand for our people what's what is a dogma? Okay, basically to 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 understand this, this is the official position or the teaching of the Catholic Church. Okay, yeah. that's what we say. This is what is expected as Catholics. We believe and we accept that this is the official position or the stand of the Catholic Church. Okay, so okay. this is the, the dogma of Mary, Mother of God. The first, the first dogma. To go a little further, this is a Christological problem, not a Mariological problem. That means the church was grappling with one issue. Okay? The issue that was brought forth by a man called Nestorius. Okay? By the way, Nestorianism landed in Malaysia in Kedah about 700 AD. The first type of Christianity to come into Malaya and they established themselves in Kedah in 700, long before the Portuguese came in 1511. Wow. Okay, but of course they disappeared. Okay, Nestorius believed, okay, that Mary is the mother of human Jesus. So there was a division: the divine nature and human nature. Nestorius believed that Mary is the mother of the human, not of the divine. The church in declaring the dogma declared that Mary is the mother of Jesus, both human and divine. 
Okay, as John's gospel has already told us that Jesus existed. Okay, if you go back and read the prologue of John's gospel, it begins with divine Jesus. But this is the dogma. This is the position. You don't divide Jesus into human and divine. Okay? That's Nestorianism. The Catholic Church with St. Cyril, they proclaimed this dogma that she is the mother of human and uh, the divine and she is the mother of God. Okay? That's a dogma. It's a Christological problem. Okay? Not a Marylogical problem. But it, it's become the first dogma of the Catholic Church as far as Mariology is concerned. Okay. That, that was indeed the, the big problem in the early church, isn't it, Father Joe? I mean, yes. the, the, the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. For a few, for, for a few centuries, the church was struggling. Yes. And, and that, that's where the Nicene Creed comes from. So we begin to understand God from God, light from light, true God from true God. All this was trying to you know, address the, the, the issue of whether Christ was human or divine, uh, yes. at which point. Uh, yes. and, and you rightly point, pointed out that yeah, it's a Christological. It's a it's a it's about the identity of Christ, uh, yes. in, with regard to with regard to this. But when we when we, we talk when you talk about this dogma, uh, what other dogmas do we have about Mary, uh, Father Joe? Just okay. What are the official uh, pronouncements we have in the church about about uh, about Mary? Okay, there are basically four dogmas, you know, that is connected with the Blessed Mother. That is called Mary, Mother of God, the feast that we celebrate on the 1st of January. And then we have another dogma, which, which many of us may not have heard, the perpetual virginity of our Blessed Mother. Okay, That Mary is perpetual virgin. Okay, We do not have a feast day for this, but it is a dogma in our Catholic Church that goes back to the early days. The third dogma you would talk about is the Immaculate Conception going back to 1800 or 1854. And the fourth one is 1950, the Assumption of Our Blessed Mother. There are only four dogmas related to Our Blessed Mother. Okay, That means it is the official position of the Catholic Church. Okay, This is what we believe and we accept in our faith teaching to our, to our faithful about who Mary is and about these four dogmas. Okay. Uh, so in, in our teaching, in our teaching, we should not shy away, we should not be embarrassed uh, because these are maybe controversial or difficult to understand. So we rather kind of a, a shift our focus and uh, do not say anything about it. I think we should educate ourselves and uh, articulate these teachings to our faithful so that they know what is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. So, so let me let, let me just try and break down the, the uh, ask for the Joe. I mean, this is related to the, the four dogmas. Of course, the first one we have dealt with Mary, Mother of God. Uh, the second one is on the perpetual virginity of, of Mary, and and I think this is related to another question that we wanted to ask you is that you know even in Scripture uh, we hear that you know uh, the brothers of Jesus are, are waiting for him. You know, the, your brother, your mother, your brothers and sisters. You know, there's there's always this. I call it the conspiracy theory that Jesus. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, you know. Uh, and in, in Scripture, you find that, uh, Father Joe. Uh, would you like to explain a little bit? Yeah, I mean, in that context, what, what does it mean? I mean, did, you, did, you, did Mary have other children? Because our faith, of course, you know, we, we believe uh, she did not. But then in Scripture, in terms of the language, uh, there is some reference to, to them. 
sorry, I'm going, I'm going a little bit forward uh, uh, in, in this conversation. Then I'll pull yeah. you back a little bit, just since you brought up the four, the four dogmas. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> right. H how do we Catholics understand uh, this? The Catholics are very clear uh, that, uh, that Mary is the mother of Jesus only. Okay. Although, although the scripture says that there are other brothers and sisters, then they, the Protestants will go back to the scriptures and say, look, it is stated here that Mary had other children, okay? The, the way the Catholic scripture scholars at least a good number of scripture scholars will try to take on this position that the brothers and sisters mentioned in the scriptures are the cousins or the relatives of Jesus. They are not the children of Mary. Okay, this is the position of the Catholic teaching. Okay, of course, some scholars, scripture, scripture scholars, some scripture scholars may differ. Okay, but the official position is this: she is perpetual virgin. That is a dogma. That's what we believe, and that means we are saying that Mary did not have any other children. Now, if you accept that position, that this is a dogma of the church, that Mary did not have any other children, that means the church has made an absolute statement that Mary did not have other children. And what scripture says about brothers and sisters are connected as cousins and relatives and, uh, and, uh, and uh, they're somewhat other connected with, with the person of Jesus Christ. It's a little bit like, you know, in our, in, I think in our, in our Tamil community, I'm not, not sure about the, you know, you know when, when, you, when, you, when you meet them, you say, oh, this is my brother, this is, this is my sister. And then when you, when, you, when you probe a little bit more, you say, oh, this is my, my mother's brother's uh, 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 child, you know, it's your cousin actually. And they, they refer to each other as, as brother and sister uh, without making any distinction whether this is, I think the, in the English language, it's quite easy. You say, you're, you're a cousin, this is my cousin. Uh, so it's it's quite. I mean, somehow we can identify with that with it, how how the reality of calling your extended family also brother and sister in that sense. Right. But coming back to, to the other point, if, uh, I, if, I, if I may go and add on this sure. thing, in in a Jewish community, the, in Jewish culture, community means a lot. They are very communal people, and and therefore this kind of a relations closeness. Uh, is a very important thing in their lives, okay, and, and that is why you know brother, sister, cousins, and all that you know, they get they get intermingled, you know. But what 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 Clarence said was true, you know, Indian culture, how we call uncles and all that, brothers and aunties, sisters. But then you go into the the genealogy line, then you'll find you see a different different relationship, you know, comes into existence. Then the third one for the Jews, the third dogma is what immaculate conception. How, how yes. does that how, how does that explain? Okay, uh, this is a this is a dogma uh, that is that has very little. There are two dogmas that is very little scripture uh, uh, involvement. Okay, one is the immaculate conception, the other is the assumption. Okay, again you got to say we have to fall back onto the traditional belief. And teachings of the early church. Okay, 
long before this became a dogma, the church already believed that Mary, especially chosen by God from the time of a conception, was not contaminated with any sin. Okay. Now, you might say, why is this? We might say, with God, anything is possible. Okay. Yeah. It's the grace of God that made Mary who she is. Okay. And this is a belief in the early church. And the early church passed it on, not as a dogmatic teaching, but because of their understanding and their belief. It took on until about 1800 or there about 1854 to kind of a take on this position to declare this as a dogma because it was a growing practice and a belief in the early church. Now we got to thank, there are two schools of thought in this. There's a Dominican school who are not in favor of this. And then there you have the Franciscan school who are in favor of this. But some or other, the Franciscan school were the winners of this and it was proclaimed a dogma of the Catholic Church. Okay, so that is how you have the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which is very, very Mariology. Okay, so this is a very Mariology dogma and it has very little scripture basis, but a lot of traditional basis in our belief in this. Talking about the dogmas and and the last one is of the Assumption. Of course, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is one that everyone knows. And that's the most recent, right? In 1950. Yes. And, and, and I still can remember, uh, if, you, if, you, if, I, if, I, if I recall clearly, if you walk into St. Peter's Basilica, as you, as you enter, there, there are these large uh, marble tablets that are on the wall uh, about the bishops that, that sign the dogma. And you will find that Bishop uh, Alsomendi's name there. Uh, the Bishop of Malacca, Johor, uh, mentioned there. So I always, whenever I take, whenever friends come, when I was studying there, I say, "Hey, look here! Our name is, our name is here uh, uh, at the entrance of at the entrance of uh, Saint Peter's Basilica." So that's the most most recent, uh, 1950, I think. That's that was the uh, the dogma on the assumption. Yes. Yeah. Well, I must I must go back to Rome then. Gives me a reason to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all are just waiting, waiting to travel a little bit, Joe. Just not not just overseas, but just interstate itself is becoming very difficult. So hopefully we can visit Ipo soon to visit you and right. have some nice uh, Ipo right. chicken rice with, with you. Right. Oh yes, right. yes. Uh, uh, Patrick, can I add on to what Father Clarence already said? When when yeah. the church declared assumption as a dogma, it said that uh, firstly it said there's there's no burial place of Mary. You can't go back and look for a burial place of Mary, you know. Yeah. And then he says, you can't say she was buried in Jerusalem, Ephesus, or anywhere else in the world. The secondly, they pointed out is that nobody can say they have a relic of Mary. Okay. Or a first class relic. They can't say they have a relic of Mary. Now, these were the position of the early church uh, that nothing of Mary, you know, that they can hold on to because she was taken up into heaven, you know. Uh, and they believed this way back in the 4th century. And yet the church took until 1950 to proclaim this as a dogma that the whole church will come to believe that this is the position of the Catholic Church regarding Mary. We have uh, one question, Father. Um, yeah. You know, because we were talking so about so many devotions and... Um, 
especially the devotion of our lady of perpetual help you know in in this time that we are in um in, in lockdown and in, in pandemic now going to endemic um you know the the devotion to our lady of perpetual help is is very common you know and and uh, you know especially um in with regards to your um uh your order the, the congregation that you're with the redemptrice congregation um, so maybe you could share with us a little bit about the history of this devotion um, of to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, you know, and, and the significance. Why why is it a popular um, devotion? Yeah, uh, after the Eucharist, at least in our local, at least in our Malaysian church, after the Eucharist, which draws thousands of people into our church on a weekend, uh, this is before the COVID time, okay. And then there are Eucharist that people go to on a daily basis. After Eucharistic celebration, the second most popular uh, 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 occasion to gather is the Novena devotion. Okay, uh, it's a big crowd puller. Okay, uh, if you collect wherever this Novena devotion is taking place throughout Malaysia, and then you add them together, it'll go into thousands. Okay, now. Why, why Redemptress? In, on the 23rd of June, 1867, Pope Pius IX granted the image with its canonical coronation to the Redemptress under the patronage of Mother of Perpetual Help and entrusted the Redemptress to make her known. What the Holy Father said was to make known the Marian devotion what the Redemptress did was, what the Redemptress did was, they just took on one piece of it. That is the Novena. Okay? Not the many other Marian devotion. Okay? They took on just Novena devotion to make her known. Okay? And that is why the Redemptress, at least in Malaysia, Singapore, when they first came to Singapore in 1935, they began to spread this devotion. And then later on, when they established themselves in Ipoh in 1960, in those days when they go on mission, they were allowed and encouraged to spread the Novena devotion. Lock, stock and barrel. If you go to Taiping Church, even today, I could be wrong with that, but they still have the same petition box that you used to see in Novena Church in Singapore. If you go to Johor Bahru, IC Church, Immaculate Conception, the same kind of petition box that used to be in Singapore. So they passed on everything, what they had in Singapore and how they did the Novena. Uh, but over time, things have changed. Today, the, the, the work of the parish priests in our country is very taxing okay, and very demanding. And thanks to lay ministry, and thanks to the wisdom of the, 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 the parish priests who have entrusted this job or this ministry to the laity. Today, you go to many of the parishes, laity will conduct the novena devotion before mass or after mass. Okay, It may take on different forms, but basically it's about the novena prayers, the petitions, some places they might uh, have a little sharing. Okay. And uh, if they don't have received petition, they might get it from Singapore and read out the petitions. Okay, and so it is still being, um, it is still popular, 
and it is still uh, been practiced in many churches. But what is what what we can do? What redemptorists can do uh, today is to be a teacher uh, on Mariology to all these novena groups, so that their foundation on Mariology becomes rock solid. So it is no longer just a superstitious beliefs, a pious practice, but a devotion that comes out of a good, sound theology. And I think this is a missing point because many of them are still going for novena, still praying the rosary, still do the Angelus prayers, still wear the miraculous medal, still wear the scapula and other forms of Marian devotion. But what is missing is a good theology and a good teaching. Okay. And that is why sometimes it may become a little superstitious. So if you can kind of uh, give room for this, there is a need to cultivate good, solid Mariology. Because after the Eucharist, this is a very popular devotion in our country. Okay, And look at the number of Marian churches in our country. There are far too many. Okay, And so we need to kind of uh, encourage this. The, the Redemptors still print the Novena book in Chinese, in Tamil, in English and maybe in Bahasa, I'm not too sure about that. Okay, they still promote it uh, in many places as they can, but this is the missing link that I consider uh, can be done today. We don't have to go around uh, spreading novena devotion, lay people can do it, but we can do good, sound teaching on Mary. We have this 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 icon of, of, of the Blessed Mother of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. In, in most of our churches, and we have all this, I mean, this is just a little side story. You know, some of them have a huge, large pictures, you know, in the parish that I am, it's a huge uh, picture that you have. But I, I recall, I mean, I, I've seen the original one, I'm sure, Father Joe, you have seen it, uh, in, in which is now placed in the St. Alphonsus Church in Rome. It's actually, it's not, it's not a very big one. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a small one only, uh, but it, it's so detailed. It's, it's a little bit like, like, you know, if you've seen the, the Mona Lisa, we all have this image of the Mona Lisa image. It's a huge one, but it's actually a tiny one in the, in the Louvre. Uh, it's the same, but it's a, it's a beautiful chapel, uh, not chapel, a church, which is uh, attached to your to your general lit uh, in Rome. Uh, it's, it's a very nice little chapel with the image on the, on the side altar uh, that's there. But talking about, the, yeah, you, I think you're, you're so right for the Joe, but this devotion, sometimes devotions kind of like, you know, uh, can easily become superstition also because we don't understand why we are doing these things. Because it's like, as you say, this is the tradition of the small tea. It just you just keep handing it on, handing it on to one from one to another. You know, I, I still remember the, the novena book. You have you have prayer set one, prayer set two, prayer set three, prayer set four. And then it becomes so repetitious for some people and becomes, I mean, if I use the word superstition in a you know in a wider sense. That people want to do it for nine weeks, uh, then you know they do it. it. It becomes conditioned by those numbers. Uh, how often do you do it, and favors granted? But rather than developing a, a kind of a relationship uh, with with our Blessed Mother, I, I think that's what is lacking, and and that's what you are alluding to also when you talk about Mariology. It's it's the study of Mary. It's the understanding of Mary that perhaps uh, we lack, but it, we we still are are very faithful to it. We still do it in, in many ways. Uh, we, we pray the rosary. We, we have the scapula. Uh, we have the novenas uh, to, to our Blessed Mother. But all, when we do all this for the Job, 
you know, we also associate ourselves with, you know, with the messages of Mary, you know, Mary appearing in different places, uh, whether it's, it's Fatima, uh, Lourdes, you have so many pilgrimage uh, sites, Our Lady of Nock, Our Lady of Belangani, uh, Guadalupe. Uh, some are recognized by the church, some are not recognized by the church. Uh, a lot of times in these apparitions, Mary has one message that is to pray for peace. Uh, to pray for you know an end of of war or strife uh, that's happening uh, in in these places or nearby these places. I've been to quite a few uh, in in Europe, and a lot of the apparitions, though some are not recognized, some are recognized. It always seemed to have happened. A lot of it seemed to have happened during the World War period, uh, you know, pre and post uh, Mary praying. What, what 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 would you say about the significance of of these apparitions, uh, especially as a message to the church or to us, to us? And how how does the church? I mean, if how does the church recognize which is authentic and which is not authentic? Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, uh, by the way, Clarence has a better place, better better knowledge of Alfonso Dom. I just walk in and walk out only. <laughs> I used to I used to walk into I, I used to walk into the chapel every day every morning before I before I started class. So so our lady of perpetual help was a special uh, had a special place for me every morning before I, I walked into the lecture room. There you are, you have a holy man in front of you. <laughs> no, I was I was I was desperate. I was desperate in the first year when you didn't understand Latin. I needed all kinds of help. Whatever help I could get, I would I, I would take. Okay, let's let's go on to this uh, apparition. Okay. Uh, uh, it's it's amazing that that if you really kind of uh, go into any of the sites, you'll discover that Mary is appearing in so many places around the world, and it's just unbelievable. You know, you look at the map of the world and you see spots where Mary is appearing. You know, and a big chunk of it in 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 Europe, and then you have it in Africa, you have it in America, in all kinds of places. So the, so the church, uh, as, a, as a wise teacher, uh, it doesn't simply take in everything that is appearing and say, yes, our lady is appearing all over the world and therefore we should all run around to all these different places. Okay? It has its own way of seeing things and coming to a conclusion, yes, this apparition is authentic or not authentic. So it sets its parameters. Uh, they are the official teachers and then they, they kind of uh, uh, do things the way they feel is the right way to approach these things. Okay, So what do we, what do we mean when we talk about apparition? A lot of people may not agree with this because when I say I have a little apparition in our church, I want to promote it. Okay, I want the whole world to know about this. Okay, But the church doesn't do things that way. Okay, So the church has its own way of working at these things. Apparitions are supernatural appearance of Mary to seers. Okay. They must see the apparition visually, located in their own environment. It has nothing to do with dreams or visions or interlocations. So when they define the word apparition, this is what it is. I can't be sitting down in my room in Ipoh Garden and having an apparition of Mary in England. 
I got to have it somewhere in Epo Garden. Okay, it got to be geographically located. Okay, so there are number of ways that the church sees apparition, either come to accept it or reject it. I put in five categories. First of all, it has to be accepted by the, the parish priest, the bishop, and the laity in that area. Okay, That's the first thing that's required. The second thing is that it must be approved by Vatican to say, yes, this is an authentic apparition. Okay, Whether Our Lady of Lourdes, whether it's Guadalupe, whether Our Lady of Fatima, and, and so forth. Okay, Then the church has a right to say they will reject an apparition after their investigation, after their study, and say, no, this is not authentic. Okay, So it cannot be approved by the, the church. They have to work with the local bishop who has to be in be the person who will inform the respective authorities whether this is an authentic apparition or not that they can open up for further investigation okay and and also the rejection to reject this as an authentic apparition okay so while there are numerous apparitions taking place throughout the world the church as a teacher is responsible to say and say, yes, this is authentic, this is not authentic, okay? So we have to kind of put this aside and we can kind of propagate or advocate this shrine as a place of healing, this shrine as a place of penance, this shrine as a place of pro-life and, and so forth, okay? They, they come with a message and uh, what is important is that this message is now becomes the teaching of the church. So you look at it like that, then, then we are not going to have these millions of apparitions. In, in many in many ways, I, I I believe that something that is supernatural has always got some fascination with people, isn't it? You know, yeah. and, and and then we we run after looking for the supernatural, but. Yes. God is also present in the natural, isn't it? In, in our in our normal settings, in our daily life, and, and that's the whole incarnation is all about. It's is God being made man, God coming into our world, and God can reveal Himself. You know, even in the ordinary, we don't have to look for the extraordinary all the time. Of course, going to places like Fatima, Lourdes, uh, Guadalupe has got a certain affinity for people. But I always say that 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 should not be the core of your faith. You know, if you don't go, that means you don't you don't have a devotion to these things. You know, the core of our faith is Jesus, of course, and that's like Father Joe. You rightly pointed out in the beginning that He is God is the end of all our worship, and and all these other things help us to lead us to towards towards uh, towards Jesus. And Mary is not the end. Mary is just the the, the conduit that that takes us uh, to her Son Jesus. Yeah, we are coming to an hour. Maybe for the Joe, I'm sure this is a heavy conversation for you. But maybe some some lighter ones for the Joe, just before yes. we conclude. You know, some lighter ones to you know help you uh, ease that those tense muscles on, that, that we see on, on your, your forehead. <laughs> After Very this, you you do. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can I add on something? Can I can I add on something sure, that sure. you said, Clarence? Please yeah? do. Very strange. Faith comes in a mixture. 
there's always some superstitious part of it, some genuine uh, teaching part of it, you know. Uh, we, we, we struggle with this, you know, and we see this in, in everyday life, you know. Good, devout people still having a touch of superstitious belief, you know, that, that kind of are still attached to them and they, and then they begin to see things like that. You know? uh, well, uh, I, I, I guess that's a struggle with our faith life. We just have to learn to live this uh, and, 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 and harmonize this, you know, uh, to purify faith, you know, and then only start practicing when we've reached the level of purity. I, I think that's going to be uh, difficult. So it's an important point. Say, it's an important point because sometimes what we do is we start judging people because of what they do, uh, you know, and, and it's not right. Uh, you know, I, I often say this like like my great grandmother. She had a special devotion. She had this thick prayer book, you know, uh, that she had to go through all the different devotions, the number of prayer cards that she used to have. Yes. To someone who studied theology now, currently say, "Oh, that is all outdated." Quite easily, we can just label that's outdated. You should be yes. praying to God. You should be communicating with God. But in yes. her own way, I always believe. I mean, even today, I look. She was communicating communicating with God with, in that particular way. I mean, yes. you may call it superstitious, or you may call it, but there's always a tinge of faith in that element. Uh, that, you know, people wear white or wear, you know. Uh, special clothing for for novenas uh, there's a kind of there's a tinge of of the simplicity of faith that's what i wanted to say you know sometimes yeah. sometimes we try to make it too complex and try to give a whole theology to to just something so simple and and, and sure. perhaps not sure. to not to judge people patrick sure. yeah let's yeah. give for the joke um, <laughs> uh, we've got a very simple question for you why is the color blue you see the whole theme here in the whole our podcast today is blue why is the color blue associated with Our Lady? Since you asked me a simple question, I give you a very simple answer. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes back, it's good, goes back to about 580 to the Byzantine Empire when the royal color was blue. Oh. And blue, was the the, blue was the color of the Empress in 580 and, and so this became the color of our blessed mother okay from from that time onwards the 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 color that the cho the late the church chose uh, for our lady is blue but you will always come across our lady wearing red and gold and so forth but blue is the color that is prominently featured because it goes back to the byzantine empire about 500 or 680 where it's the color of the royalty. So they began to see our Blessed Mother as a royal person. Okay? Mm. And that's what this color began to be connected with our Blessed Mother. I've, I've always liked the, the, the kind of an inculturated uh, image of Mary in many societies. You have, you know, sometimes our, in India, you have go Our Lady in a sari. Uh, you go to, to, to Korea. I mean, I just want to... Uh, this is, I mean, I, I should just show you. This is a statue of Our Lady from from Korea, dressed in the Korean Korean outfit. So there's so, so many different uh, versions, and I, these are these little, little things I, I will just, you know, there's so many different images, and people have tried to localize Mary uh, in, in many ways, and, and that's such a beautiful thing. And of course, you see it behind the the, the icons of you know that from the Eastern churches, influenced by the Eastern, Father Joe. 
Now, before we let you go, you know, there's so many different icons of Mary, images of Mary. You know, do you have a particularly a, a favorite one for yourself? Then we'll go to Patrick. Patrick, do you have a think about it, Patrick? Well, Father Joe answers. Do you have a, do you have a, do you have a favorite icon of, of Mary for yourself that, is, that you have a special connection with? Yep, yep, I got it, I got it. I can go bring Okay. It. Right, let me let me say mine very quickly. You know, I, I, I grew up in a family where rosary was our, our night prayer. Okay. Uh, without without saying the rosary, there's no dinner. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. That's the way we were brought up way back in the fifties, you know. Uh, and uh, it's just a statue. Maybe maybe those days we, we had pictures that we cut from the calendar. Okay, those days calendars come with pictures of either Sacred Heart or Immaculate Heart. And then we will cut that and then my parents will frame that up. And that becomes holy picture. Okay. So that's that's what we had. It's much later they began to buy statues and the pictures and all that. Okay. But that was the the, the, the normal thing those days. Okay. We we had those things. Did I have did I have any particular liking, a particular picture? No, the answer is no. Then joining the redemptress. And seeing the, seeing the picture of our mother of perpetual help almost at every corridor, every room, uh, and, and every other setting, it became a picture that was very much part of our, my life. And uh, every redemptorist who got ordained, he will print a, a, a souvenir card of the mother of perpetual help. And then when redemptorists die, also a memorial card with a picture of mother of perpetual help with a prayer, memorare, and so forth. So this is the picture that I have become uh, found of, and it is in my room, and also I printed for my jubilee, and probably when I die also, I hope my conference will print a picture of Mother of Perpetual Health. So that is a picture that I have in my prayer book. I pray the memorare, and it is very much part of my life. Okay, And I still uh, pray the, uh, the, the rosary, uh, which is part of my spirituality. Okay. Uh, it is, it is a tradition I've inherited from my parents and uh, I continued in the seminary and I still do that. Uh, that's that's my uh, my spiritual life or my prayer life. Okay, that's me. Patrick, do you have a, do you have a, do you have a, we can't hear you, Patrick. Oops, we have lost Patrick in a bit. Out of battery. <laughs> no, we still can't hear you. How about now? Testing. Ah, okay. okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, actually, the icon of Our Lady of Perpetual Help as well. Um, uh, we actually have this wooden carving um, of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. It was passed to us, you know. Whenever we get, uh, we, we come across this, you know, it's passed on from one family to another, um, either because someone has passed away and, you know, they're just clearing the house. So this wooden icon uh, came, came to my mother's house and it was uh, already faded, you know, wooden, but it's faded. And it was passed to my cousin who was Protestant. She was a young, she's, she, at the time she was a teenager. It was passed to her. And my mother asked her to help to paint it, you know. To, to paint it and and this girl who is not catholic actually painted it got you know got a photo of it and then did that as a as a, a teenager project lah, for my mother and painted it and it looks so beautiful and passed it back to my mother and now that icon is actually in my house 
you know and whenever wow. i look at it i always think about how it was beautified you know by my by my cousin and for me that's a it's a great testament you know that that um um of the relationship and of uh, of a devotion um even outside of the the, the catholic faith you know and uh yeah i was i was very very so, so you are so you are also there. associated with you are also associated with uh, our lady of perpetual help our lady of perpetual help yeah yeah well i i, I would say for my for, for me while i was studying as, as i mentioned you know that image was that icon was was something that's really personal because every morning that's that's where i would go and and you know, ask Mother Mary to intercede for me, you know, to get through this this first semester of of Italian and and to try to get through the, the exams also. But since then, since then, I've, I've kind of kind of developed a liking for a, a localized, uh, you know, image of of Mary. As you see, I have these these things. So wherever I travel, I, I try and look for something that is that is local, that the locus representation of Mary, and and they tell a lot of stories about how you know. Even Malaysia, we have one. I think Father Rutens last time had painted also uh, a, a Malaysian version of, of our Blessed Mother. Uh, and I, I, I like those kind of images uh, that are local, uh, that, that tell a story, um, and not, not, not the typically stereotype how Mary looks like. No, I mean, nothing, nothing against those things, but I kind of like the, the, the localized versions of, of, of the community that, that visualize how Mary would be in their own Either in their own costume, in their own headgear, or something, and, and I went to Indonesia, and I went to to uh, I remember where where was this uh, to Bali, and there that's beautiful images of Mary in in their own costumes and and different places, and hopefully, you know, we have different images. Father Joe, uh, before we let you go, uh, we need to get to ready for before you let we let you go. There's one thing that we want to ask you, and, and as you said, the Redemptorists have been promoters of, of the devotion to Our Lady. And we know it's a struggle today with the young people uh, trying to get them to do the rosary or trying to get them into novenas. Uh, what would you say to parents? Uh, how, how to pass on this, this tradition that you said, you yourself rightly said, you inherited it from your parents. How do we keep this in the church? How do we pass on, like for Patrick to pass on to his younger daughter? Uh, yeah. What would you say yeah. to, to, young, to young parents who, who struggle sometimes to get their children to join the rosary? What would you say to them as, a, as, as your parting words this morning? Okay, uh, I'll, just, I'll just change that a little bit. Eh? Okay. Uh, <clears throat> uh, because of time available with me these days, I, I am trying to read a, a, a social a sociologist of religion called Peter Berger, a very elderly man, uh, probably retired. Uh, but his writings I'm trying to read and try to understand. And he, he, he says this, he says, religion is not dying. Okay, uh, we, we tend to think like that, that religion is dying because we don't see young people in our church, you know. And, and so we come to a conclusion because of materialism and secularization. But he, he proposes another idea. He says there's a plurality of religion that is taking place in our life, in, in the world today. Okay. So we should encourage uh, children to find, to help them find a spirituality that will make them be connected with God. Maybe what made us connected with God may not be the type of spirituality that they are looking for. So what, what connected us is whether night prayer, saying rosary, you know, whether it is going for novena devotion, whether it is 
carrying the statue of Our Lady from house to house in the month of October to pray the rosary collectively, you know. But to kind of say, what are they looking for in terms of spirituality and how we can connect them, you know. And in that way, we'll find uh, that young people can have spirituality. And, and and we can see this to some extent when, where there are different, different youth groups who are different, beginning to discover different ways of getting themselves connected with God, you know, a charismatic prayer group, just sing along, you know. Maybe their, their spirituality is more action orientated, that they're willing to kind of uh, do some things outside rosary beads and outside Bible to go on a march or walk for ecology and so forth. But that's what we need to kind of look into rather than say that religion is dying. Our worship also should kind of uh, try to find uh, innovative ideas where these themes that are very, very close to the heart of the youngsters can find an expression in our worship. Uh, and then we find ourselves, hey, we can make them, you know, get connected to the sacred. I, I think that's something that we need to explore, you know, because we may be giving traditional ways of doing things that doesn't grapple them. Uh, when God cannot be ex experienced in sacred space, then people are going to go outside to the secular space to experience God. And so, but but God is real for them, but they're going to experience it elsewhere. And and as church and as as as, as leaders, uh, I, I I think this is where uh, where collectively as as priests and bishops, we need to kind of uh, talk about it rather than just handing down what we have decided is good for our youth. You know? uh, that's that's what I think uh, can yeah. be done, should be explored. Thanks, Father Joe. I think I think that that you know, with that note of hope, uh, that you know, it, it's not that the young people are not going to church, but they are looking for spiritualities that that can connect, that makes sense, that resonates with them. So, like what you said earlier, like in your home, I mean, you said like you know, no no rosary, no dinner. It doesn't really work today uh, in, in many yeah, in many yeah. ways. Uh, but to find things that to help them connect with God, Father Joe, it's been a great pleasure uh, having this conversation with you. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Thank you, thank you so much for for taking time uh, to to agree, firstly to agree to to come on this podcast, uh, to have this this con this difficult conversation, which you said that you know it takes a whole semester to do a course on Mariology, but to break it down so simply for for our listeners, at least to have a greater appreciation of Mary, you know, and and sometimes and also to clear some of the the church's teachings about Mary because. Asking people to read the dogmas, uh, it, it's not a not a, not a, a task that that we want to ask them to do, but to to break it down simply so that to, when we understand better, we appreciate uh, what we have in our church, and and when we when we appreciate, it just helps us to grow in our faith. Father Joe, thank you so much uh, for for being thank here you. with us this morning, Pat. Thanks, thank you, Father. Thank you, uh, thank you Father uh, Father Joe, for for sharing with us and and clearing some of the you know. Sometimes we don't have time to even uh, look at these questions, but when you brought it up, you know, um, um, it helps to clarify and, and to, to, to enlighten us um, to have greater devotion and love to an appreciation for our Blessed Mother. And um, thanks to all our viewers who have tuned in today, um, we ask you to continue to like and share uh, our, our, this podcast uh, on your individual social media, on YouTube, 
and on, on Facebook so that more people can get to know um, Our Lady. So uh, please continue to share uh, this particular podcast uh, in, your, in your groups, even in your WhatsApp groups, in your BECs, so that uh, it becomes uh, um, enrichment even for them. And uh, so we maybe, Father, you want to end with a, a closing yeah. prayer? Father Joe, would you would you would you uh, graciously say a prayer, a closing prayer for us this morning? Sure. Uh, first of all, thanks to Father Clarence and uh, Patrick, and also to Mark uh, for inviting me uh, to spend uh, this time and to talk on this topic on Mary, which I also consider is very important uh, because we are so either ill-informed or very little information is given these days on our Blessed Mother. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you very much. So I'll end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray and ask uh, the team that has put this together and also all listeners, bless them in a very special way. Uh, may their mission to evangelize and uh, to bring the teachings of the church to the larger audience during this time of COVID continue to grow as more and more people get to know and learn uh, about church, about life, and about spirituality, that they'll be able to become better disciples of Jesus as they continue to live their faith life in our world today. Let me end with, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and the blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you very much. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. And and to all our, our, our viewers, don't forget after this uh, on TV ArchKL, there's the, the diagnosed ordination of, of Brother Michael Das. Let us all join uh, and, and pray uh, for and with him also. We we'll see you all. See you all next Saturday. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Take care. Bye, 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 everybody. Bye. -bye. bye.